Hello, and you're listening to Mixed Feelings Radio. I'm your host, Kelsey, and this is a safe space for open and honest conversations about the mixed feelings we sometimes have about our own mixed race identities. In today's episode, I speak to Hannah Chieko Lee Bell about what it's been like to be half Japanese in the context of dating and fetishization and the world of restaurants and hospitality. I want to start by sharing this quote by Min Jin Lee, author of Pachinko. The author says this, as a person of color from a modest family, I have felt both hyper-visible when hated and hunted and invisible when ignored and underrepresented in most spaces of power. I never take my race off and leave it at home. It's neither a bad nor a good thing. It's my lived experience. It gives me no consolation when I hear, it's not always about race. The idea of racial extraction or discounting wounds me because I am always with my race. It is in my skin, eyes, and hair. I am never without it. For me to function, I need to be at peace with my racial self. Each one of us has a race and each one is good. I am saying this obvious thing because when members of my race are injured, insulted, and murdered, I have to pay attention so I can be safe. And I want you to be safe too. Grieve, rest, and also resist. This extremely polarizing existence of dualities is present in so many people of color I speak to and know. There is an added level of confusion and guilt when there are two identities at war within one mixed race body. Which one wins? Is it the one that keeps us safest? Is it the one that helps us thrive? Is it the one that brings us comfort? Is it the one that helps us stay strong? I guess the question might also be, does it have to be a war between the two identities at all? These are questions I have personally struggled with as a half Chinese woman, and a lot more as of late as I age and consider my future. The conversation of racial extinction, the context of removing race from our conversations, really removes what's beautiful and unique about us. When people ask why I always make it about race, it's because it is. It's because we can't divorce ourselves from our race, and we can't divorce the structures of our society from race either. Now that's an entirely different conversation for another day, but in today's episode, I speak with Hannah about the ways we've tried to separate ourselves from our race and the times we've celebrated it and the gray areas in between. All of this is to say that this was a great conversation with one of my very good friends, and I'm very grateful that this could be my first episode. I hope you enjoy it, and I can't wait to hear your feelings about it. Stay tuned at the end of the episode to hear me unpack my own mixed feelings about the episode itself and the ways I hope to grow from the conversation. Hi, Hannah. How are you? How are you feeling? Hi, Kelsey. I'm well, thank you. I'm feeling really excited about our conversation. Me too. So this one is a little bit more focused because this time we're talking about dating and our experiences with like, I guess, fetishization and, and I guess kind of stereotypes maybe in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, the way I met you was through our mutual ex. And I think that the reason that our relationship is so meaningful to me is because our connection of being like his ex it like was is so like interesting because we 
are so similar mm-hmm. in so many ways. But I also remember realizing that he had a new girlfriend who was half Asian. And I was like, oh, wow, I am just a type. And I am curious to know, I mean, we've spoken about this, but I guess I'm wondering if you can talk about it here, about like your experience with, I guess, being someone's type or being a type, um, but also like being mixed in the world of dating and relationships. Um, Yeah. So to start off by addressing like about being someone's type, I was so scared of you Um, when I, uh, you know, before we met, when I was, uh, when I was, when I was with that person, um, and I knew that like he had a tattoo for you and I knew that your relationship was very meaningful. And um, I just sort of imagined, um, I imagined this like really daunting experience um, that would be meeting you if that ever if that ever came to be. And I imagined that I could never like sort of compare to the experience that uh, that the two of you had together. And I mean, we all know that once we humanize someone, um, it becomes less scary. Um, but yeah, I guess so, you know, in that uh, to answer your question a little more, though, like I, I have been someone's type, as we know, um, at least one person. Um, and, uh, I guess like when I, when I did meet you, I also started to wonder if my experience in that relationship was all built on you as this sort of like phantom ex, um, and a predecessor. Um, and in some ways it was almost validating. Um, you know, it was a pretty tumultuous experience for me, uh, that relationship. It wasn't, it wasn't healthy. Um, and, uh, I certainly didn't show my best side all the time and he certainly didn't show his best side all the time. Um, and to recognize myself maybe as part of a pattern in some ways was validating. Um, and in other ways it was like, oh, I see, I see what's going on here. Um, there was a, there was one day when someone who I used to, who I used to know in that uh, area of Toronto messaged me out of the blue and they were like, Oh, I just saw you walking down the street with him. Like, how are you doing? And I was like, Oh, that wasn't me. Um, which sort of affirmed to me that perhaps the pattern had continued and, Mm -hmm. um, I don't know what that actually looks like, but, uh, on the surface, um, on the surface, it felt like I was a link in a chain, I guess, in a sense. Yeah. I guess as far as your other dating history, have you felt that way before? Um, not specifically, like there was a type um, specifically talking about like half Asian women. Um, not necessarily that, but um, I guess like when I was young, my mom, uh, when I was like 11 or 12, my mom told me that I would start to be uh valued by men for my exoticism, Mm -hmm. um, which was interesting to me because I didn't really think about being Japanese or about being white at the time. I was just sort of myself. And I also wasn't a sexual being at that age either. And I didn't really know what she meant. Um, And then when I got older, like when I was like 18, 19, I was living in a smaller town, Guelph. Um, I remember I walked into a bar one night where my friends were playing uh, an open mic and they started playing El Scorcho by Weezer, which is the one that starts with like, God damn you half Japanese girls. And I felt special. Mm. Um, I think now, you know, almost half a lifetime later or whatever, I, uh, I would hesitate if someone greeted me that way but at the time I felt seen um I dated someone who called me as Asian princess and I honestly I felt seen it would be a red flag these days um and it wouldn't be an accurate representation of who I am but at the time it made me feel like I was recognized what I find interesting talking to you about this is that I don't think I present as much 
as Asian maybe. And so I don't think I've had as many experiences being um, fetishized perhaps. But I think that when we've spoken about this, you've expressed some positives and some negatives about Mm -hmm. this aspect. So I'm curious if you can talk about maybe some of the positives Mm -hmm. and then also some of the negatives. I mean, obviously there's probably way more negatives um, because Mm -hmm. the world is (laughs) (laughs) kind of a little bit more negative, but I mean, like, let's talk about the positives, right? Like where have, where have you felt I guess you talked about being seen and recognized mm-hmm. and kind of affirmed by it. So, like, what about those? Um, yeah, I mean, well, I would also like to say I, I don't feel like I present very Japanese, actually. Um, people, if I tell them, they'll be like, oh, that's it, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, that was yeah. the missing puzzle piece. Um, or else I've had people straight up tell me, you're fucking white, which is super offensive to me. Um, not in that, you know, it's offensive to be white, but in that it's not my identity. But um, also, it's offensive to be told by anybody that you're anything. It was pretty rude, yeah. It's happened a couple times. (laughs) Um, But anyway, yeah, the positive. um, I guess, like, uh, in the past, especially, um, in my, like, late teens, moving throughout most of my 20s, I really wanted to be wanted, and I wanted to feel special. And um, those times when fetishization might have occurred, even if it was from friends, you know, I had friends who were, like, weebs, who were like, oh, I love Japanese stuff. Do you like anime? I do. I, uh, I still felt like there was part of me being acknowledged. And I, I often feel like I have imposter syndrome about being mixed, about mm-hmm. being Japanese. Um, and um, to have people define me that way, it's, it's not ideal, I guess, you know, on paper. But um, it speaks to a part of me that doesn't always get spoken to. Um, so that would be the positive. I guess, like, uh, yeah, you know, the, the guy who called me, like, Asian princess. Um, this was in Guelph, which is a pretty, pretty Caucasian town. And, um, I guess, you know, it made, it, it seemed unique. They also used to call me a China doll downtown Guelph, um, which isn't accurate either. But again, I would sort of preen when I heard it. Um, I don't know if that's positive or negative (laughs) really at this point, but I know at the time it made me feel positive. Well, I mean, I know one of our mutual friends calls you Japana. <laughs> How do you feel about that? Um, <laughs> that nickname came about when I was like, you know, 21 years old. Um, and at the time, again, same same thing. That's a great example, actually. If I met someone now, I'm 33 years old. If I met someone now who started calling me that, I'd be like, fucking excuse you. Um but then I was like, why, yes, I am that Hannah. Um, you know, and I think it speaks a lot to how we've moved forward culturally as well, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah, the depictions in media. I grew up in, like, the early 2000s, um, like, League of Teen movies, which were all hyper-offensive upon revisiting them. But this is what I thought was cool, and I thought that mm-hmm. these, this kind of, like, profiling was like, oh, yeah, I'm the Asian character. Yeah. Um, and I, uh, yeah, I wouldn't accept it now, but I don't regret it having happened. Mm-hmm. Fair, fair. Having watched those teen movies as a teenager, mm-hmm. we're around the same age, I remember also feeling like I kind of wished I had been like the token Asian yeah. at times. Like that I maybe undeveloped teen mind where I was like, oh, I wish people saw me that way. And I mean, even now, a lot of my kind of identity crisis that I'm going through now as a 32 year old person is Mm -hmm. I wish people saw me as more Asian Mm -hmm. 
but with that comes that kind of negative side of people either fetishizing me or racializing me or, you know, mm-hmm. throwing racial comments at me or whatever. So, like, mm-hmm. it kind of comes with both sides. But I remember you telling me a story about a guy that you were seeing. And I think that he, he was seeing a few people mm-hmm. at, the, at the time. Mm-hmm. And I think that he was also seeing another Asian girl. Yeah, um, he was someone I was in an open relationship with uh, when I was about 25 to 27. Um, he he was seeing two other women. Uh, they were both Chinese. They were both stunning, um, beautiful, super cool. Um, I'm still friends with one of them. Um, and they were they were very different looking as well. Um, and I was very different looking from both of them. But he, uh, yeah, there was one day when he was on like the TTC and he heard this guy yelling about like uh, interracial relationships and how angry they made him. Um, and uh, my now ex told me about this encounter and he was like, I just wanted to tell him all my girlfriends are Asian. And that kind of hurt my feelings. Um, it hurt my feelings and I felt like it was disrespectful to like the other people as well. It's very reductive. And it's this like, you know, this guy was like the Scottish and French or something like, you know, it's this very like colonial looking dude. Um, using the women he's dating as like a point of pride like I can't be racist I date Asian women Mm -hmm. and I really hated that it made me feel kind of like dirty yeah um so that was one um that was a negative yeah that was a negative um I feel like I was sort of trying to come up with the positive in retrospect a lot of it to me is negative Um, but I'm trying to focus on the feelings I had at the time some of which were positive if that makes sense Mm. yeah well no but I think I think that when we spoke the last time, I think that maybe you were in that light and that mindset of kind of looking at the positive mm-hmm. and saying like there are positive aspects of like maybe being fetishized of being like, at least I'm being recognized. Like, yeah. Um, but I guess, can you talk to me a bit about some of the negative experiences? Wh- one of which you mentioned, mm-hmm. um, someone told you that you were white. Yeah, um, you know, I was working. Uh, I was working at the Drake Hotel, and uh, <laughs> there was this guy who came in who was uh, there for a golf tournament. Um, he was a close friend of our general manager at the time, and uh, he was listening to me talk at the bar with another woman I worked with who was half Indian, and we were talking about how cooking the same food as our mothers. Uh, her mom was Indian. My mom's Japanese. Making our kitchens smell the same way that our moms used to make our kitchens smell helped us feel like that was part of our identity helped us sort of like reclaim that or whatever and this guy like started laughing and he was like you're not you're fucking white and I was just sort of like I didn't even know what to say I I suppose at the time this was before COVID before we started having more progressive conversations I guess I didn't want to come off as like a social justice warrior I didn't want to lose my tip I didn't want it to get back to my general manager Mm -hmm. that I'd been rude but I was really taken aback um I guess uh, if we're talking sort of about like restaurant experiences, I will say hands down that Yorkville is the most racist neighborhood I've ever worked in. Um, When I was working at uh, the Oxley in Yorkville, I overheard and was subject to so many conversations that were offensive. Um, A lot of them were like Bay Street bro, kind of like business lunches. Uh, I saw a horrible interaction between um, a Chinese woman who was on a date with someone and uh, his work friends. They treated her very terribly. And afterwards they were like, oh, that's so funny how they're always so meek. They just put their hands together and go like, oh, 
And I was staring at them and the guy looked at me and he said, are you going to get me a fucking beer or what? Um, wow. It was pretty bad. And, uh, it, you know, I used to, um, I used to like go up to tables as a server and they'd be like, Hey, we're taking bets. What are you? Um, that happened several times. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, in, in the world of dating, um, I haven't ever experienced so much racism as I have in the world of serving. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny though, what you said just now, I mean, made me think of like going back to when I was young and like going out and like going to clubs and oftentimes that like introduction of like someone speaking to me was oftentimes about how I looked. Mm. So again, I'm not outwardly super Asian, but I know that I'm not, I don't look like, I look kind of ambiguous. And so people (laughs) would be like, what are you? Mm -hmm. And so oftentimes that would be like the pickup line. Mm -hmm. And so that would be like the, oh, we're taking bets. What are you? Would be more so that introduction to me. And so back then when I was younger, I had never really thought of it until this conversation and like having this kind of thoughtful conversation with you is like back then that was like a positive use of this kind of fetishization mm-hmm. where people would be like, would want to talk to me. And they'd be like, oh, like you're interesting and I want to talk to you. Mm-hmm. Whereas... I look back now and maybe it's because I'm jaded (laughs) and maybe I'm more like progressive and woke, but I, and I would now be like, don't fucking talk to me like that. Who asks that? (laughs) Who asks that? And like, don't assume, like, Mm -hmm. don't assume I'm anything like get away from me. Mm -hmm. But back then I was like, I was very much like a, like teehee, like, (laughs) you know, like I'm, yeah, like guess kind of conversation. I mean, it kind of, that kind of sounds like what I was saying about the feeling of recognition as well. I feel like it's the same thing. Um, you know, and I get that too. Like we're, you know, being like 20 something in a really big city. Um, it's nice to feel like you're set aside in some way or something, you know, like, like you're, you have this special individual thing going on. Yeah. That you're not, you're like, you, you stand out from other people Mm -hmm. and that like they see you. Yeah. Um, I'm curious to know, okay, so, so right now, like moving on from like the past dating, Mm -hmm. you're currently in a secure, happy it's so good. Relative. I mean, long-term, right? You guys yep. have been together for quite a long time. Yep. Relationship. And I'm curious to know how the dichotomy of like the positive and the negative aspects of this fetishization have affected the way you date mm-hmm. and like how you came to this relationship now in the world of like quote unquote types. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I love this question. Um, so I think the imposter syndrome again, um, my, my partner now doesn't, doesn't fetishize um my like ethnic history in any in any way he kind of just sees me and um it's a very sort of holistic love from him which is cool but then I wonder am I Japanese enough um if he's not talking about it am I Japanese enough I want someone once in a while to be like hey this food we just saw on tv did your mom ever make that or something like that and I don't get those questions and I think part of it is him being mindful um about how I get really spicy when people <laughs> cross a racial line with me. <laughs> um, but like, you know, I, I'll try to like, uh, the other day I had to go through some old photo albums and um, I found a picture of my grandmother, my Japanese grandmother who he'd never seen and I like showed it to him and he was just sort of like, oh, she's very beautiful or whatever. But um, it wasn't like, that's so cool. She looks so Japanese. And I would have hated it if he said that. But part of me was like, say something. I just want you to think that I'm 
I want to be your mixed girlfriend. Um, and for him, I'm his girlfriend. Um, so that's not a him problem. I think that's completely appropriate. It's a me thing. I've, I've always been used to this pattern of like, this is my half Japanese girlfriend, Hannah or whatever, you know? Um, and it's so, I'm like, yeah, am I, am I still enough? Um, if that doesn't define me, what defines me? Is my personality that good? I don't know, man. <laughs> um, Wait, so would you say, are you fetishizing yourself then? Like maybe, <laughs> like maybe, um, uh, it's, it's not, it's not what I want to be, but I guess, yeah, I'm so used to it being brought up. I just, yeah. I wonder what's in place of that, that, that draws him to me sometimes. So interesting. Yeah. Brains are, brains are strange. Um, I guess I am kind of fetishizing myself, but then it's also like this whole thing of like, is it real? Am I real? But so, I mean, I can totally relate to that because like, I, it's like you're you're trying to claim that part of yourself, right? Like as someone mm. who's mixed, mm. you kind of don't claim a hundred percent. Obviously, you claim fifty mm. percent yeah. of both sides, right? <laughs> you don't claim a hundred percent of either side. So, you, I, I can only speak for myself. For in my case, I really want to be seen as Chinese mm-hmm. because it's like white is like easy, right? It's easy, right? But I want someone to be like, oh wow, she's Chinese. That's so cool. I want to know more about it. Like, tell me. But at the same time, for me, again, there's like a lot of there's like a lot of holes in that that I can't answer and like I don't know about. So mm-hmm. there's some fear there. But um, I can totally relate to wanting to be kind of claimed as this like, you know, Japanese girlfriend in some ways. Yeah, I guess an analogy for it might be um, I have tattoos. I have like visible tattoos and uh, my tattoos have been fetishized as, as have yours, I'm sure. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and at some point that starts to become a, like a, a checkbox in my brain or like yep. a defining characteristic. Totally. Um, even though I hate getting tat called, I don't like people touching me to look at them. Mm-hmm. Um, I accept questions about them like time and place appropriate. Um, and that's very much how I feel about my like mixed identity, I guess, too, especially in dating. Yeah. You like, it's, you know, I get tattoos because I want people to see them, Mm -hmm. but don't, don't look at me (laughs) unless I want you to look at me. I was joking about this to someone else recently. It's like, I don't like people looking at me, generally speaking, but there's a time and place. And then sometimes when they don't, I'm like, why aren't you looking at me? Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like a, maybe a catch 22. It's, it's a weird dualism. Yeah. I want to be perceived and I want to be perceived as perfect and unique simultaneously. Um, yeah. But also I don't want to, I want to move throughout the world without making a single ripple, which I also wonder is from like having a like mm. Japanese mom as well. Mm, absolutely. <laughs> mm. Well, that's very much Japanese culture, right? Like we, yeah. we talked about that in our last conversation about the Japanese culture of being very like quiet and mm. small, like trying to make yourself small. Yeah, well, especially she had an older brother and the brother is usually like traditionally the preferred child. So mm. even though she ended up doing most of the caretaking for her mom um, towards the end of like her mom's life, um, my my uncle, who was pretty absent at the time, was always the preferred child. Mm. Um, and I do wonder how much of that um, has had an effect on me. It must have. Well, I mean, then there's a huge another kind of episode that we could talk about as far as like you know generational trauma Mm -hmm. yeah which will yeah again time and place (laughs) we'll do it next time absolutely um I guess I'm curious to know do you have a type um yeah you know this one's interesting for me and um I'm trying to be as candid as possible and uh I will say that like 
you know, it's, I've had a lot of experiences growing. And um, when I was, when I was in my like, yeah, late teens throughout all my twenties, I, um, well, first I used to joke that I was into self-aware people, but really I just like people who hated themselves, which was a real bad pattern. And, uh, <laughs> but um, it seemed to be true until, um, until I had a circuit breaker three years ago. Um, but uh, I also, um, I also think that I was racist in my dating attitude. Interesting. Um, I think that again, I mentioned like I was sort of raised on this culture of like these weird fumbling sort of trashy teen comedies. And a lot of them were, Basically, all of them were written by, like, white executive men. Um, a lot of them contained racist ideology. Um, you know, black people were either comedic relief or hypersexualized, I feel like. Um, gay people were portrayed, I will say, very clumsily at best. Um, there was a lot of fetishization in that. And I thought that I was into white people um, because... Yeah, in mainstream media, you know, like white people were the ideal. Mm -hmm. um, I thought maybe I just wasn't into people of other ethnicities. And as I matured and started to discover my sexuality more, um, I realized that that wasn't true. Um, but yeah, I mean, I would love to go on record saying that like in my like early to late 20s, I think that my attitude towards dating was racist. Um, racist doesn't need to contain malice, you know, like it's a... Uh, pretty pretty nuanced spectrum of inappropriate behavior um but uh now at this point um this is gonna sound kind of silly but i i think everyone's hot i'm attracted to so many people um regardless of like weight um whatever their gender like situation might look like to them um racial history you know, color of their skin. Um, everyone's so hot. And uh, it took me a while to realize that. And like, I am in a relationship with someone who's like, pretty like normie cishet, very handsome, though. Um, but uh, we ended up we just vibed. It's not necessarily the path I would have taken um, mm -hmm. anymore at this point. I try, you know, <laughs> I, try, I, I am less attracted to those kinds of people these days. Yeah. But uh, yeah, um, outside of that, I just, I find I like people who um, we, we, we click right away um, in the sense that there are a lot of inside jokes right off the bat. It's almost like you learn to talk in your own language with mm -hmm. each other right off the bat. Um, so that often like sort of goes beyond appearance. It's a, it's a certain kind of weirdness or quickness yeah. that we both share. Um, and that usually draws me to people now. Yeah. I was thinking about this question and I've kind of personally been grappling with this question a lot over the past couple of years because I think... I have a hard time hearing you say that it was racist because I, I like I hear what you're saying totally, but I think the the word that I hear is more like maybe unconscious bias. Maybe yes. it's like the 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 kinder way to say it. But um and I think I definitely have the same way, right? Like my big crush when I was younger was Josh Hartnett. <laughs> I fucking loved him. <laughs> but like he epitomized that like teen, heartthrob, white mm -hmm. guy. Um and I loved like Justin Timberlake and like all those like white dudes. Brian Luttrell from the Backstreet Boys. Obsessed. Yeah. I was okay. obsessed. Yep. Brian. Yeah. It's like Baptist. <laughs> <laughs> um, but so like, I, you know, and then like my first, my first two boyfriends were white. Mm -hmm. um, and I've like, my experience dating is like quite minimal, like 
relatively, but in recent years, I would say most of my partners have been people of color. Mm-hmm. And so in my mind, I thought, you know, that was, you know, I've like, I'm like, I found my stride as far as like the people who I've meant, I'm meant to be with. And that's kind of, you know, they get me, we, we get each other as far as our experiences go. Um, and then I also went through this like kind of awakening, um, where I was like trying to grapple with my own Asian identity, where I was like, maybe I should just be with an Asian person. Mm. Because if I ever have kids, I'd love for my kids to look Asian so that I can have a child who looks Asian. Mm -hmm. Because if I have a kid with anyone else, all Asian traces will be gone because I don't even look that Asian. And so like this idea of having a type, it kind of goes beyond like sexual preference or Mm -hmm. like personal preference when I start thinking about like procreating which I'm not really thinking about (laughs) on a real level like I I, I'm not really like I'm not actually thinking about that but like my mom makes me think about that often like she kind of she's in my head but I think about it sometimes and I'm like well what will my children look like with this person or what will my children look like with this person I have also grieved the loss of like um my Asian looks whatever they are um in being with someone who's like a Italian Irish guy, mm-hmm. um, he's he's my life person. He's a wonderful partner. He'll make a wonderful father. But I've definitely had moments where it like sort of flashes before my eyes, and I have these like white babies, and um, mm-hmm. maybe they have Japanese middle names like I do or something. But I'm like, what would my family think? Am I doing the thing that would make them proud? Um, would they be happy if they saw my babies or would they be disappointed if they saw them? Um, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. And it's also like, also who cares what they think? Like, I, yeah. you know, like at the end of the day, like that's also, I kind of think that, but mm. um, I think in a selfish way, the only, one of the only reasons I think about having children is because I want to like see what they will look like. And like, I want to like, I want that legacy of like what I, I want that. I want a legacy. That's Mm -hmm. one of the only reasons I think about having children. Like I don't, I don't want children to like play with or, you know, like I don't care about that stuff. Mm -hmm. I just want to like, when I die for there to be something else. Yeah. Live on. Um, and I like the idea of something to like, look like me. Mm -hmm. And, but at the same time, when I think about the way I look, which Mm -hmm. is like fairly ambiguous, Mm -hmm nothing might look like me what whoever I have a baby with will look like a totally new species yeah I mean I think mannerisms are a big part of it too and then I hesitate to get into this further just because I think that'll bring me into talking about like generational trauma Mm. um and what traits I'll see from like let's say my mother um who's caused me a great deal of trauma but I love her um and what traits I would see like from my children you know from her like uh the way that they move or something or the things they laugh at Mm. um but uh again I think that's probably for another time but like yeah I totally I totally get that about the legacy that's a big thing for me um I'm very morbid and I think about death a lot in a way that's pretty comfortable but I'm also petrified of it and I I do feel selfish about it as well but I think it's also coming from like our most primal spot yeah um this this desire to uh continue the bloodline um (laughs) which sounds culty when I say it that way but uh yeah I think it's like very like reptilian brain or something um wanting to wanting to mother um especially like when we're of an age which we are um and uh 
when we are more in touch with our mortality. For sure. Yeah, for sure. So I guess to kind of like wrap the conversation, mm-hmm. I guess. So my final question is, um, so the, the common storyline for racialized people, whether mixed or not, is typically, a, you know, I guess, especially now in the kind of current climate is a disenfranchised one of struggle and, you know, hardship. Mm. But um, have you ever felt empowered as a mixed race person and or given like different opportunities or better opportunities? Um, I will say like outside of the whole conversation we just had, I feel hot, like not day to day. (laughs) I'm having a really weird time with my relationship (laughs) with my body and myself, but like in general, yeah, just COVID too much couch, whatever. But like, um, in general though, I think that being mixed is hot. I get excited when I meet meet other mixed people. We get excited when we meet each other. I feel sexy. I think that that's really cool. And if I weren't mixed, there would be other ways to like embrace my sexiness too, certainly. But like for me, it makes me feel really hot and I love that. Um, I love that. I love (laughs) that for you you and I love that for me. That's great. I also feel lucky like, um, you know, in the Second World War, my my grandparents were fighting in the English army and their grandparents were Japanese. which wasn't a great place to be in at the time. And sometimes I'm like, how am I alive? How True. did they how did they do this? Why well, I'm here. What? That's really cool. I take pride in that. Um I uh I'm also really grateful. I think I, I I just mentioned that I grew up with sort of like strong Japanese women and my mom and my grandmother were problematic in their own way. You know, there's a lot a lot to navigate with that, which is another conversation, but they were really strong. Um, my grandmother moved to Dundas, Ontario in like the 1950s, I think. And, um, she, she, you know, owned her own business, um, like navigating this like maze of prejudice and my mother, um, going to like high school in like the sixties and seventies, like going to college in the seventies was also like navigating this like crazy web of prejudice. And, um, I'm so lucky to have grown up under the influence of people who had that experience. Mm -hmm. I think that like learning about life through people who have been marginalized, who have gone through some kind of hardship made me personally a better person. There are other great people out there in the world who have, you know, all sorts of different experiences. But for me, I think a lot of what I like about myself is because people who understood hardship raised me, people who understood prejudice raised me. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm so, so, I mean, I'm not grateful for like what they had to suffer, but I'm grateful for the ways that I have harnessed that. I know my mom likes who I am and that's a really big deal to me. I kind of like who I am too. So, yeah. I mean, it's so cheesy. I always hate hearing this, but I mean, I think it's very true, but like what doesn't kill you does make you stronger. And I think that in this conversation, it's like, it is really so true. And I really loved hearing you say like that, the idea of like opposite sides of the war and like, it's it's like in a weird way, it's kind of a miracle that you exist, right? Like, yeah. It's insane. Yeah, I, and that's so true for so many mixed people. It's true. Um, yeah. That journey, like, wow. <laughs> Just wow. Yeah, yeah, totally. Well, this was a really great conversation. I feel like we could probably talk for hours <laughs> and hours about different kinds of offshoots of things. Oh, we will. Yeah. <laughs> it was really nice to talk to you. Well, thank you and so much. And I hope me. to talk to you again soon about this kind of stuff. Yeah. Maybe we'll do another episode. I don't I know. Love that. We'll, well see. thank you. Thank you, listeners. All right. Talk to you <laughs> soon. Bye. Bye. That was a really good conversation. 
And although I've lived over 30 years in a mixed race body, I am still learning the best ways for me to navigate the world. Hannah mentions feelings of imposter syndrome a few times throughout our conversation. And it wasn't until we'd wrapped and I'd had a chance to listen in editing that I realized I wasn't able to thoughtfully engage with that topic in the moment because it's something that I'm still unpacking myself. I'm constantly grappling with the idea that I'm not Chinese enough and I toggle between hiding it and boasting it depending on who I'm with. Neither of which mode I'm entirely proud of. I'm working toward finding a happy medium I guess, somewhere in the middle, one where I'm just me, half Chinese, and that's kind of it. No further explanations needed. I'm trying to find a way where I can be at peace with my racial self, and although that may be a lifelong journey, it seems a worthwhile one at least. A lens I've started looking at myself through in the context of racial identity and anchoring myself to something is through the conversation of dating. In this episode, Hannah and I unpack the idea of having a type or being someone's type, what it means to be racialized or even fetishized, and whether or not we can even fetishize ourselves. In listening back to our conversation, there are a few places I'd like to correct myself. I think part of why I've decided to start having these conversations is not only to build community and share these stories, but to learn more about myself and in part that comes by making missteps and correcting course and finding new thought pathways. One area of self-correction I'd like to highlight is when you hear Hannah discuss how she feels her dating practices were at one point racist. I'd try and correct her or find a more palatable term for this and suggest unconscious bias. But upon reflection in a second lesson, there are two things worth mentioning. The first is, Hannah can perceive her own past dating practices and perspectives however she wants, and it's not my place to make them more palatable for anyone. Secondly, in my own reflecting, I realized that racism can be found in my own dating practices and maybe I was deflecting. At one point in the conversation, I mentioned my recent dating practice of seeing people of color, and I wrongly state that we get each other as far as their experiences go. When listening back to that, I kind of cringe because I think that the truth is I still feel so disconnected from my Chinese and racialized self that I don't actually relate to the people of color that I date, but I do yearn to. Are our experiences similar? Can we relate at all? Or maybe do I prefer dating people of color in some way to feel closer to that side of my identity? Or maybe to distance myself from my own whiteness? And then I wonder, is that in itself a form of racist dating? Am I the one fetishizing others? Or maybe it's internalized racism? These are so many topics worth exploring in future episodes, and it motivates me to keep the momentum. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss my next episode where I speak with my friend and previous coworker, Will, about Asian representation in media and how it impacted his perception of his own masculinity as an Asian man. This has been Mixed Feelings Radio. It's been great feeling with you. See you next time. Bye.